Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are uh, Lord, that you invite us into a journey with you. And I pray, God, that as we lean into your word, as we wrestle with the messiness that that comes with, I pray, God, that we um, would see the beauty of that invitation and the freedom that comes in that. May we learn a little bit more of what it means to walk with you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to begin uh, just by giving a statement of where I hope we get. My intention for this morning is that we would understand this statement a little bit more. That Jesus gives us a life that is rooted and built in him that displays thankfulness. Jesus gives us a life that is rooted and built in him that displays thankfulness. It's interesting when we just read from that passage in Colossians, Paul tells us to walk with Jesus. What in the world does that mean? I believe that it begins with some of these words, rooted, built, and thankfulness. And that is all really messy. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but building something with somebody is never an easy thing. I have a constant reminder of this every time I walk in the front door of our house because located right when you walk into our house is this shelf right here. And 11 years ago, my wife and I decided to take on the project of putting together this beautiful piece of furniture from Ikea. We had just gotten married and you know if you've ever had like a, something that's been put together or you've gotten some from Ikea, it takes a whole lot of instruction and time and all sorts of things. But we were just married and somebody knows exactly what I'm experiencing here. And, and we decided that like after our honeymoon, after the dust had all settled from the celebration of our wedding, that like one Saturday we would take on this project. And what I... What I began to realize very quickly is that as we were trying to build this simple shelf, my wife and I had a little bit different understanding of how this was going to work. Maybe you've experienced this before with somebody. Maybe this is bringing you back to like a high school team project or something like that. But this is how it went for Gretchen and I. Gretchen has this mindset of that she opened up the box as the box is instructed to be opened, pulls everything out, takes the instructions, reads through all of the instructions, like zero to 50, zero to 100, zero to a million instructions. She's going to read all of the instructions before we start anything. Is this anybody in the room here? All right. She then proceeds to pull everything out and lay it out in the room. 
The reason for her doing this is because she doesn't trust the manufacturer that they may have screwed up or messed up this whole thing, and that when it says we're supposed to have eight of these, there might be six, right? Anybody with me so far? This is you so far. All right, I got an amen already. This is good. All right. She checks to see all the pieces are there. My role in this, as we do it together, is to patiently watch her do this. And she says, don't worry, I'll give you a task eventually. Time frame for about this project, maybe four to six hours. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dave, me, this is how it works. I think that this is a simple shelf. Let's just rip the box open. Instructions, more like suggestions. Let's just get at this thing. It's a shelf. Are you kidding me? It can't be that hard to put together. Just give me the hammer, the screwdriver, whatever is the biggest tool that we need, and I'm going to find a way to put this all together because this is more like a puzzle instead of a Lego project, you know? Just look at the box and we can fit these pieces together. My time frame, like maybe 20 minutes this will take us to do. Is anybody more like me on this adventure? All right, perfect. I quickly realized after this moment, and as I look at the shelf even now, that this replays all the time in our relationship. And this happens anytime we're building something together. In fact, even this last week, we had to replace the headlight in my car, and it took a lot longer than I anticipated, and we had to watch way too many instructional videos to do so. My point is simply this, that when we are called to walk in life, the reality is, is that each and every one of us are called to walk this life not alone, but with other people. And because of that, because of that simple fact that we're going to walk with other people, it's going to be really messy. It's not going to be as simple and as easy as we might think it is supposed to be. In fact, this is what Paul is getting to in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The question becomes, what in the world does that mean? How do I walk in Jesus? Today, we're going to continue on in our short little series here, focusing on the book of Colossians. It's a short book written by this guy named Paul. In fact, you could read it in like 20 to 30 minutes. And I'm not exaggerating <laughs> as I was sharing the story before. It's really that short, four chapters long. And in that book, Paul gives us some incredible wisdom. If you were with us last week, we talked about how Jesus is the center. And that's the title of our series. And what we mean by that is that Jesus is the center of all things, center for us. He holds all things together. Remember, we talked about three important things. That number one, Jesus is a big deal. That's what Paul is saying. He's also saying that Jesus is the head and that Jesus is the reconciler, the one who brings peace into this world. 
The reality is, is that every person will fill those statements with somebody. What Paul is challenging us with is Jesus is the only one who can fill that spot. So he's the center because he can handle suffering and weight of this world. And then Paul moves into Colossians chapter 2. It says, as a result of that, because you have received Jesus as Lord, walk in him. Now, generally speaking, I think when we hear statements like this, to walk with Jesus, we put like um, certain things as like, this is what it means to walk with Jesus. We think like, all right, this just means that I've got to like say some prayers. I'm walking with Jesus because I prayed before that meal. Or I'm walking with Jesus because I read my Bible every single day. Or I'm walking with Jesus because I'm consistently at church. And I'm not discrediting those things. But if we, if we minimize a walk with Jesus only to praying, reading your Bible, and showing up on Sunday morning, we miss the whole heartbeat of what Paul's talking about here. To walk with Jesus infiltrates all of our life. And when we think it's only in those things, well, what about my job? Is Jesus involved in that? What about my relationships that I have? How does that even fit and work? And I think that we get to this mindset at times because we have this understanding of our relationship with God as like an, if I do this, then God will do that. If I do my devotions, if I do my prayers before bed and before I eat, then God will bless all the things that I have done. But that just doesn't make sense according to what Paul and the Bible are saying. God is so much more than an if-then relationship. He doesn't fall into that category. And as a result, what Paul goes into, he says what this relationship looks like then is that, that I'm going to give you some principles of how we're called to live. I'm not going to tell you exactly how you're supposed to live at year 23, day 37 of your life. I mean, think about it. If that's how it was, like, number one, you've never read the Bible before because it's not kind of that instruction manual. No offense to people more like my wife that want all the details of how this works. All right? That's just not how the Bible works all the time. But the reality is that there are principles that God gives us that drive and show us our life. And what I love here is that Paul gives us two metaphors and a participle, an ongoing action that should guide how we live. And I want to talk about these three things. They all come from this tiny little passage in Colossians 2 verse 7. Check them out here. Paul says this, Rooted and built up in him, this is in Jesus, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
I want you to get these three things here. You can write these on your announcement sheet here this morning. The first thing that Paul points to is that we're called in a walk with Jesus to be rooted in him. To be rooted simply means to know your identity. To be rooted means that we know who we are. We find our life from our roots. Deeper roots bring a deeper ability to live and sustain in this world. I mean, Paul is naturally pulling this image of plants, right? I mean, when you hear that rooted thing, you think of a tree or something like that. And Paul is saying that we need to be deeply rooted in our faith. Because roots are that what you cannot see from the outside, but are vital for what you can see to operate. If the roots aren't healthy, then what you see also will not be healthy. We need to know our identity. And of all the images to illustrate this, I never would have imagined that I'd be sharing this with you today, but somebody drew my attention to this. I want to talk about Illinois prairie grass. I don't know if there are any Illinois prairie grass experts here in the building, but apparently somebody was telling me that this prairie grass that we have in our wonderful state of Illinois can grow up to 10 to 15 feet in height. And the reason for that, the reason that it can continue to grow is because of how deep its roots are. I found this uh, image on a website that I'm sure you've probably stumbled over before, <laughs> sarcasm, that uh, talking about prairie grass, and when you look in comparison to the prairie grass that exists, it's re the reason that it can grow so tall, the reason that it can sustain, the reason it's so hard to get out of your lawn is because of how deep the roots are. I mean, look in comparison to just normal turf grass over there and the roots that are there. How deep these roots are are. What's fascinating, and I've seen this happen before, that in order to grow this prairie grass, they also will start a fire. You ever seen this happen before in a prairie where nobody's like freaking out? You're like, there's a fire going on here. Well, they're not freaking out because they know that the roots are so deep in that grass that it can sustain the fire that is happening to it. And what Paul is getting here, too, is that our roots need to be deeply rooted. Rooted in Jesus, but rooted in an identity that is given to us. Greater than the fires, greater than the circumstances that happen to us. What I believe, and this church believes, like our identity is given to us through the waters of baptism. That it's in this very act that God gives us a new identity. He marks us differently. And that's not anything that you do. It's what God has done for you. And because of that, you look at yourself differently and you look at the world differently. We are deeply rooted in a new way. The second image that Paul gives us 
is not only that we're rooted, but then he says to build up in him. It's kind of an interesting phrase. Jesus being the center, not only are we rooted in him and the identity that he gives us, but then we're called to build upon him. And when I hear that phrase, I think of that building means simply that we're called to just try new stuff. In, in, in this relationship with God, God is going to challenge us in, in many ways. It's a growing process. It, to build something takes a lot of growth, takes a lot of patience. It takes moments of risk in participating in studying new things. And anybody would attest that building something can be challenging and hard. It just is that way. But I also find it's interesting that he uses this metaphor to build up in him because building something also requires a lot of maintenance and constant work. Just because you build something doesn't mean it's like, oh, I, I built it and now it's good forever. I realized that this last week as we've been having some plumbing issues in this wonderful building of ours. And after a good amount of change, everything was the way that it was before, right? You've experienced this before, that, that to, to care about build, a building, to care about something that is built, means that it takes time. You're going to have to try new things and continue to take risk and to continue to have maintenance on these things, and I think it's important to acknowledge that, that Paul here is also saying that, that this is established in the faith. It's very clear to say that this comes from the faith that has been taught to us. But there's one last thing that I think is really important for us to get. So right now you might be saying, all right, great. Last week you said we're going to talk about how do I build my life on Jesus? Uh, like rooted and built, all right, those seem like kind of strange ideas. What does this even look like? I think Paul slips in one really important phrase that is something that should shape and mark our witness to each other and to the world. It's simply this. He goes on to say that we should be abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thankfulness. The statement abounding in the original language <laughs> simply is using an image of that there should be plenty of leftovers. I mean, when I hear that, what, what Paul's getting to is he's talking about Thanksgiving meal or that meal at your family's house where there's only 15 people that show up, but your family cooked for 50, and there's plenty of food left over. That's the image that he's giving here, that we as believers in Jesus are abounding in thankfulness. We should be continually 
thankful for all that has been given by God. Because remember, the whole point of today is I hope that we get this statement that Jesus gives us a life that is rooted and built in him that displays thankfulness. The life that we have is a gift from him. We're called to find our identity in that. We're called to take risk, build on that. But we're called to be thankful for what we have been given. I don't know if you watched this guy, uh, Jimmy Fallon, uh, but he has a segment on his late night uh, show called Thank You Notes. Anybody seen this before? Um, it's really cheesy and they do all sorts of like weird random things that they're thankful for. And, um, and I don't know if uh, this has kind of brought a resurgence of, of thank you notes, but I was thinking about it this week um, and I actually found an article on Uh, psychology today that was saying, and this is probably not shocking at all, but what psychologists have discovered is that people who receive and people who also write thank you notes have boosts of positive emotions and well-beings. Duh. All right. Just had to put psychology today on that to to share that with you, right? Like, Like, I think we get that. We have moments in our life where we recognize we're willing to say thank you, to live out of thanksgiving. And, and followers of Jesus, above and beyond anybody else, should already understand this concept. I mean, your life, my life, is a thank you back to God. I'll take an amen for that, all right? Your, your life is a thank you note back to God. And just in case, if you've never written a thank you note before and you're really confused by what we're talking about, there are three pieces that make up a thank you note. First, there has to be some sort of exchange. Somebody gives something to somebody. The reality is, is that what we believe and confess in this place, the reason that we're here, the reason that we sing songs to God is because we're thankful for what he has done. Because we know that because of his death and resurrection, that we have a free gift that has been given to us that we will never earn. By the way, the word grace is very similar to the word thankful. These are two interchangeable words in the New Testament. The grace that God has given us is a thanksgiving that we have. And what has been given is the life of Jesus and his resurrection for us. The second thing to put together a thank you note is that the one who receives has to literally write this out, right? And I remember this. This is my mom teaching me this when I was young and after many birthday gifts that were given. The key element to a thank you note is simply this. In that note, you share with that person what you're going to do with the gift that you have been given. Your life, my life, as a thank you note back to God is not something that we're just going to write on a sheet of paper and say, you know what, God, I'm going to just read a bunch of Bible passages about you and maybe say some prayers and show up to church, you know, 
every once in a while. No, no, our lives as a result of the great gift that God has given us means that we find our identity in Him, and that means that we are willing to build our life on that good news of what He has given us. We're called to live a thankful life because of what God has done for us. And to me, what I, what I view this as is simply that we should be asking ourselves this question, how can I be thankful in this moment? I want to be clear here, though. Like, I recognize, I'm not, I'm not saying that, like, like, we should just use this to deny the pain and suffering that exists in this world. I mean, that's real. And we experience that all the time. I'm not saying that we avoid those emotions. In fact, I can point you to just as many Bible passages that would say that we're called to bring that emotion to God and those questions and fears that we have. But I also want us to know that that should not substitute the very fact that we have reason to be thankful. What we believe is that Jesus won and that there was a resurrection and that even death does not hold down our Lord and Savior. And what that means is that for those who believe and trust in Him, it's good news. Because we will join Him for eternity. And by the way, that's not news for like a safety net after you die. That's news that it affects your life today and changes the way that you look at the very things that exist in this world. So this last week, uh, my wife and I, we celebrated our anniversary, 11 years. And, um, and we went out for dinner uh, at a really nice restaurant, had a babysitter, and life was great. And, uh, and as we were eating, uh, came up with this weird idea of, uh, why don't we talk about uh, 11 things that we are thankful for about us. And I'm not going to share any of those because that's between my wife and I. But, but as that was happening, I was talking about this message with Gretchen and I said, like, I, like what, what, is, what is an image that kind of captures this? And she pointed to that Shelby. And she said, you know, one of the things that I began to realize is that I have great reason to be thankful for the building of that shelf. And I said, all right, well, I'll start. I'd love to share what I was thankful for after all of this time. I said, you know, what I was thankful for in that moment is that, Gretchen, you are willing to look at all of the details, even though it slows us down in the project. But if it was up to me, that table would have made it 11 days, not 11 years like it has. And she said, you know, what I'm thankful for in you is your willingness to adjust and adapt, to conform to my ways. <laughs> I don't think she exactly said that, but um, adapt when it becomes challenging because it leads us into many fun adventures. 
I know that as we look at, as a church, as we live out a mission, the desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus, we are going to encounter mess after mess after mess. And as this church continues to build and grow and remind each other of the deep roots that we have because of Jesus, you're going to get upset at me. I'm going to get upset at you. This happens because of the very nature of what we are called to do. My hope would be that we would remind each other again and again and again to walk with Jesus means that we know our identity, that we take risk, and that we do it all with a lens of thanksgiving because of what God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who works in the messiness of this world, who gives a great gift of life. And Lord, oftentimes I, I can't even wrap my mind around the beauty of that, of that message, but it is our source of hope. Not just for real dangerous times, but for right now, in this, in this time. And I pray, God, that we would remind each other of that. I pray, Lord, that as we go through trial and as we go through victory, may we be reminded of those deep roots that you have given. But may we know that our lives are simply just a thank you note back to you and all that you have done. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.